0: I, I love the fact that we've got a wide variety of music. You don't ever know what you're going to get one week. It might be uh, Stamps, Baxter, Old Southern Gospel, and uh, being a hillbilly, I love that. But I, I, I haven't hardly found uh, any music I that I don't love. Uh, there are a few exceptions. I won't mention the radio station, but uh, if I look hard enough, I can find something I don't like, but... But I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to to that kind of music, uh, as long as it's scriptural. Open your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been speaking about the armor of God now for several weeks. And uh, I don't need to tell you we're involved in a spiritual warfare. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's verse number 12. And then he tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And we've looked at each piece of the armor of God, and now we come down to the actually the last piece. Now, He's not through talking about this, because what we speak about next week, if we fail in regards to prayer, we're going to fail altogether. Understand that. But this is the last piece of armor that is specified in this list. Now tonight, there are three things. Look at verse number 17, where he says, And take the helmet of salvation. And we talked about that. And tonight, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want us tonight to think about the soldier's sword, the spirit's sword, and the saint's sword. Now, to begin with, Paul, and I, I, I tried to picture in my mind Paul there in his prison cell, and as he watches day after day as those Roman soldiers come by and and as he sees how they are adorned, and I mean, they're all decked out in their array, and uh, they've got their breastplate on, and their sandals on, and their sword in their hand, and their helmet. And and, uh, and Paul uses that analogy in order to show us how we need to be prepared for the battle that we face. But understand, this is not just Paul sitting there in a prison cell thinking to himself, you know, that would make a great illustration. It's the Holy Spirit prompting him to do this. Don't ever forget that. You know, sometimes we talk about the different personalities that the writers of the Bible have. We think about Paul and, uh, and Peter and James and John, and we think about the fact that each one had a distinct personality. And the Holy Spirit allowed them certain liberty when it came to the manner in which they expressed themselves, but He was always the guiding light. And as you as you read through their writings, you can sort of identify. Well, you know that sounds like something that Paul would write because of his. The manner in which he wrote, and you think about Luke, for example, who was a physician, and it's very apparent that he uses terms and words that other writers do not. But it's always the Holy Spirit that is guiding them in what they write. So, as Paul thinks here about the the ancient soldiers and their equipment, their armor, uh, he uh, he uh, mentions the sword. Now. This does not speak about the big broad sword. Remember last week we talked about the big sword that had the large handle? It's like anywhere from two to four foot long and it's got the big handle that you can get uh, both hands on. Uh, This is not what he's talking about here. This particular word that's translated sword in the Greek is matera. It's a word that speaks about uh, what we might call a, a, a dagger. It speaks about any sort of a knife that is from 6 to 18 inches long. And it's something, you know, you could thrust with or slash with. It's a precision instrument. It's not like this big old sword, you know, where they would get out there and just start waylaying people and swinging wildly. That's not the way you would use this instrument. Now, I'm pointing that out because later on in the message, that's going to become very, very important. So I want you to remember that, that Paul is using a word that speaks about a precision instrument instead of something that you're just flailing about out there in the middle of a fight. Now... Unlike the other pieces of armor that he's already spoken of, we notice here that the sword serves a dual purpose. The others have been of a defensive nature. But when we come to the sword, that can be used both as a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. And uh, without it, we don't stand a chance. I mean, listen, without the Word of God, you and I are going to fail, and failed miserably. So, that's the soldier's sword. But notice here that he speaks about it as being the sword of the Spirit. Notice, and he describes, we don't have to wonder about this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why doesn't he just call it here the sword of the Word? He could have done that. He could have said, and you need to take the sword of the Word. But he doesn't. And he doesn't, I believe, for at least three different reasons. Whenever he identifies the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit, he's making a point. The first point is the fact that the Holy Spirit gave us the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, "...all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness." Notice that. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Holy Spirit is the One who prompted men... To write the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19 is even clear in regards to this matter. He says in verse number 19, let's see, chapter 1 of 2 Peter and verse number 19, he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, listen, listen. That does not mean what, uh, what the Catholics have said over the years. That you can't interpret the Bible privately yourself, that you've got to have somebody else to tell you what it means. That's nonsense. You, You don't need me to tell you what it means or anybody else. It means what it says. And whenever he says it's of no private interpretation, it simply means that you can't take one part of the Bible and interpret that apart from all of the rest of the Bible. And that's why you hear me quite often say the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, you compare one Scripture with all of the other Scriptures. But notice what he says then in verse number 21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god notice holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost that word move there in the greek uh, speaks about uh, the same word they would use in regards to a uh, to a ship at sea and how the sails would catch the wind and the wind would move it along and he's saying that holy men of old, as they were moved, they wrote these words. Now, something you need to remember, that God used human instrumentality, but God inspired the Scriptures. In the verse I read just a few moments ago from Second Timothy chapter 3, he said, All Scripture is inspired. Sometimes you hear people talk about, well, God inspired me to do this. God inspired me to, 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 to write a song or whatever it is. And I've heard even preachers refer to the Scriptures and the writer of the Scriptures as, you know, that they were inspired. It doesn't say they were inspired. Now, remember this. It doesn't say they were inspired, but all Scripture are inspired so it's the word of god that's inspired of god they were moved to write this but it's you know it's not that they were inspired so the writers aren't inspired but the words they write are inspired it's important that we understand that because every word every single word in the bible is inspired and that's why I have such a difficult time with some so-called versions of the Bible. I mean, listen, whenever you have a one version of the Bible that, uh, for example, it speaks about uh, uh, in, in giving a number of men and speaks about there were 70 cents and another one says 72, you've got an error. There's something wrong somewhere. I mean, listen, if one part of the Bible is wrong, I can't trust any of it. And I'm confident this book I hold in my hand is 100% accurate. There's no mistakes in it whatsoever. That doesn't mean I understand everything in it. But listen, that's not the fault of the Bible. That's my own fault. And so what a marvelous thing it is to know that we have in our hands the full, final, complete revelation from God to man for this age in which we live in. That's a wonderful privilege, but it's also a great responsibility to know that God has put this truth in our hands. So, he refers to it as the sword of the Spirit because he is the source of the Word. Secondly, he refers to the Holy Spirit in this regards because he's the one that enables us to understand the Bible. In other words, he is our teacher. Don't ever forget that. Think about the fact that, you know, as you read the Bible and uh, and and study the Bible and uh, try to learn the Bible, that you'll never be able to do it without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Why? Because they're foolishness unto him. He can't know the things of God. Now, now wait a minute. What in the world does that mean? Here's an unsaved man. You're telling me he can't understand the Word of God. Well, if he can't understand the Word of God, how is he going to get saved? I mean, you know, how is he going to know what the Gospel is if he can't understand it? Well, we realize that in order to be saved, he's got to know the Gospel, understand what the Gospel is. But we have the Bible telling us that he can't understand the Bible unless the Holy Spirit is teaching him. Do you remember what Jesus said in regards to us coming to Him or people coming to Him? He said, No man can come, you know, to me except the Father draw him. The Holy Spirit enables a person to understand the Word of God and the extent that unsaved people can understand the Bible is the simple plan of salvation and the historical facts. Anyone that understands plain, simple English can read the Bible and they can understand it uh, only from the historical standpoint. In other words, they they can read the story of Moses the same as you and I, and they can understand, you know, what happened in his life. They can give you a general outline of his life but they'll never have a deeper understanding of the Bible. And we've got to remember that as we read the Bible. Just knowing what it says is one thing. Understanding what it means is another thing. And you and I must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as our teacher if we're going to learn the Word of God. So that's another reason why he refers to the Bible as being the sword of the Spirit. But I think there's another reason that's... We preachers are very much aware of, and that 's the fact that not only is the Bible does it come from the Holy Spirit? not only does he teach us what it means, but he 's the one that makes it effective. You know the preacher can lock himself in the study and open the Bible and begin to make notes and he can think and he can outline the message and make make every effort he can get some cute little illustrations to use he can uh, you know, get up and preach it to the best of His ability. But let me tell you, it's all in vain unless the Holy Spirit takes that truth and uses that truth. In other words, if He doesn't enlighten us and empower us, if He doesn't illuminate the minds of others, we can preach and we can teach and we can write books and we can compose songs and everything else, but it's not going to be effective. And so each week as I stand here behind this pulpit, I do so realizing that my very best effort will never be good enough. That I stand here as a man that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit to accomplish what only He can accomplish. So when we talk about the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about the Word of God. Now that brings us down to the most, maybe the most practical part of the message, and that has to do with the saint's sword. Now, this is the sword of the Spirit, but we're talking about you and I being prepared for the conflict that we face, and this is the sword that we must use. Notice, he says here, this phrase, "The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." There are two different words, two different Greek words that's used in the Bible that's translated the Word of God. Let me me mention one of them. The word logos is used in John chapter 1, and verse 1. He says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Now, we all know that's referring to Jesus, right? That Jesus is the Word of God. But that's the Greek word logos, and that particular word speaks about the entirety of the Word. In other words, when you see that word logos, you know it's speaking about God's full revelation. So whenever it speaks about Jesus being the Word of God, it's kind of like saying that He is God personified. And remember that Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus, you see. He is the revelation of God to man. He is the Word of God, and that speaks about the entirety of the Word. But there's another Greek word, and it's the word that he uses here that's translated the Word of God. And this is the Greek word, the rhema. And this word speaks not about the entirety of the Word of God, but a specific portion of God's Word. In other words, a certain truth, a specific portion of the Word of God for a specific situation. So you might refer to this as the Word of God, the logos, the entirety of it, but you can refer to a particular verse like John 3.16, you can refer to that as the rima, that is just a part of the Word. And it's very important that we understand the distinction here. Notice he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what he's telling us is in order to be prepared, we have to take a specific portion of God's Word that fits our specific situation. In other words, a part of the Bible that relates to the situation that we're in. For example, if you're tempted to sin, it would not do you any good to just stick out your chest and say to the devil, well, be gone, devil, I believe the Bible. Now, you're missing the point. That, listen, that's not going to help you. What will help you is to use a specific part of the Word of God that relates to the situation that you're in. Am I making sense? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he says take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he's using that, that Greek word, drema that means take a specific part of God's Word, and that is your armor. Now, it serves two purposes. Unlike the other parts of the armor, the Word of God serves two purposes. First of all, it serves a defensive purpose. You ask any Christian who is under attack, you know, uh, and, you know, they'll tell you in no uncertain terms that the, the battle is fierce and we begin to realize just how weak we are and how much we need God. If I'm going to prepare For whatever temptation comes down the road tomorrow, or whatever difficulty I encounter tomorrow, then I'm going to have to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. Not just the whole of it, but specific portions of the Word of God. Jesus is the prime example. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I started to just make reference to this, and I... You know, there may be some young people here that's not familiar with these verses, and they need to be, because nothing in all of the Bible better illustrates what we're talking about than what we read in Matthew chapter number 4. It tells us that Jesus had fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterward He was hungry. In verse 3, And when the tempter came to Him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and sitteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. Oh, no. listen, do you get this? Now the devil's going to quote Scripture. For it's written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus saith unto him, It is written, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, the devil's not through yet, is he? Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things. Now remember, the Bible describes Satan as the God of this world. Now think about what he's about to say. He takes Jesus up into this exceeding high mountain, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now you see, here is the perfect example of how we use the Word of God to defeat the temptations that come our way. Jesus responded in each instance by quoting a portion of Scripture that related to the subject of hand. He didn't just quote any part of the Bible. You know, that might sound impressive to to quote, you know, forty eleven different verses of the Bible that doesn't relate to anything. It might impress other people standing around, but it doesn't do any good. Now, please don't understand, we're not talking about the Bible as being some little magical book or formula or something that by which we ward off the devil. But we're talking about a a book that is alive. It's a living book. This book's unlike any other book in all of the world. This book is alive, the Bible says. It's alive. In, in, In other words, as we use the Bible... It's not that we accomplish anything, it's what it accomplishes. So whenever the temptation comes, and and if you compare the temptation that Jesus was going through, and if you study that, you'll see that he was tempted in exactly the same three ways that Eve was tempted in the very beginning when man fell. In the same three ways. And they're all mentioned over in one of John's letters there where he talks about the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. So they're all mentioned right there. Those are the three avenues by which all temptation comes to us. So when the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points such as we are, yet without sin, it's not saying that He was tempted to smoke pot. It's not saying that He was tempted in some specific area that you're tempted in. But He's tempted in the same three ways that everybody else is tempted in. And whenever He responds to the temptation, He always does so with a particular part of God's Word that deals with the subject at hand. Psalms 119 and verse 11, the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to conquer sin in your life? Then you better hide the Word of God in your heart. If you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be defeated. Now, don't listen... I'm not nearly so concerned about people, you know, and it's a great thing. For example, in Iwana, we've got some young people that probably can say hundreds of sections, that is, verses of Scripture, that they can stand and quote those verbatim. You know, and that's well and good. I'm not so much concerned about whether you can tell me where it's at. In other words, the chapter and the verse That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to know what it says, even if you don't know exactly where it is. Are you with me? But you know what it says. And so when Satan comes along and tempts you in some way, all of us ought to have enough knowledge of the Bible that immediately there comes some Scripture to mind that we can use as a response against the temptation. Wonderful being able to quote the Bible, but just being able to quote the Bible is not enough. You need to know what the Bible says about the situation that you're in. Now, it's that remembrance of God's Word and the trust in God's Word that helps us to ward off the blows of Satan. That's what Jesus did. That's what we have to do. What we do grows out of what we think. In other words, you can't think wrong and live right. Our thoughts always come before our deeds. And uh, if I'm not looking at life from a scriptural vantage point, then I'm not seeing it as it really is. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in the last two or three, four or five years, there is a phrase that has become very popular. Preachers use it a lot. Politicians use it a lot. But that phrase has to do with our world view. Everybody has a world view. In other words, we all think something about the world in which we live, and we all have some concept of what the world is really like. You know, call it your philosophy, whatever you want to call it, but we all have some worldview. But let me tell you, if your worldview isn't based on the truth of the Bible, then you are deceived. And that that's the problem we've got in society today. Uh, you hear people say all the time, well, I'll tell you what, this is what I believe. Well, as we'd say back in Missouri, that's hunky-dory, you know. That is just wonderful. You can believe that all you want to, but that's not going to help you. You better know the truth. And the only place you're going to find the truth is right here in the Word of God. So if we're going to defeat Satan, then we need the defense provided by the Bible. But... In addition to being a defensive weapon, it's also an offensive weapon. Not only does it protect us, but it also pierces. Defensively, it parries the blows from the enemy, but offensively, it's used to stab or to slash. And and it accomplishes God's will in our life in several ways. For example, as an offensive weapon... It exposes air. Have you ever noticed that throughout history that no other book has ever been attacked as has the Bible? I mean, it's been denied. It's been ridiculed. It's been banned. It's been burned. They've questioned the historical accuracy of the Bible. Its claims have been rejected. Its supernatural accounts have been scoffed at. Its prophecies have been ignored. And have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it that so many people hate the Bible? Why do they despise the Bible? Why do they try to discredit the Bible? Well, the Bible answers that question. There in John chapter number 3 where it talks about men loving darkness more than light. You see, we live in a world that is darkened by sin, and the natural man loves darkness rather than light. And this book, the Word of God, is light. They despise the light of God. Why? Because when you hold forth the light of God's Word and you say, this is the way, walk ye in it, it exposes the air of their way. And consequently, the natural man, the unsafe person, is going to hate the Word of God and despise the Word of God. We live in a world that's not only wrong, but a world that is very vocal in what it believes. In other words, there is a great deal of pressure on us. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, if we Christians were as vocal about what we believe as they are about what they believe, there's no telling what we could accomplish. I mean, it's just amazing to me. I, you know, and I hesitate to even mention any specific thing, but but let's just for an example use the uh, the gay movement uh, it could be a number of different things i i saw an advertisement just this afternoon i one entertainer Wanda something i guess she's gay I, I, you know, I, I i'm just going from that i don't know anything about her but these guys are in a coffee shop or something, and one of them makes a reference to something about that's gay, but they don't use it in the sexual way and so she gets up out of her seat and goes to their table and rebukes them you know that that's that's not nice and so forth and uh, But the amazing thing is that those folks, as wrong as they are, let me tell you what, they will get in your face. They'll march around the courthouse. They'll do whatever they got to do to try to get their message out there. They're wrong, but they're vocal about it. So we send our kids off to school. Don't you ever doubt the fact that our kids are under a tremendous amount of pressure in school. Now, I know it's always been that way, I think, back to whenever I was going to school. And there was peer pressure back then. I mean, boy, we had pressure being put on us, you know, to smoke cigarettes. I didn't know anything about marijuana. I sure didn't know anything about all the other pills and stuff like that that's available to kids today. And the most raunchy thing we had back then, you know, if some kid could get his hand on a deck of cards, you know, they had the girly pictures on the back. Let me tell you what, I see Christian advertising and Christian bookstores more raunchy than what we had on the back of those cards. Makes me sick to my stomach when I see stuff like that and so-called Christian performers and what have you trying to sell their CDs and things and dressed in their skimpy little clothes and so forth. And listen, the kids go off to school and they're under the gun. They're under pressure to conform to the ways of all of the others. And listen, this is a different age that our kids are living. Can you imagine? What you might have done had TV and all of the dirty movies and all of the other rotten stuff that's on cable. Can you imagine what you would have done when you was 14, 15 years old if you'd had access to that? You know what you would have done? You would have done the same thing your kids are doing behind your back that you don't know about. I'm telling you, we can't set all of that stuff out there in front of our kids and expect them not to partake of it. They're just not prepared to deal with stuff like that. Now, I'm talking about the Word of God being able to expose air. And we Christians need to be vocal in regards to what is right and wrong And I don't mean to just get up on a soapbox and start screaming and yelling about our preferences. If we're going to really show people what's right and wrong, then we're going to have to get in the Word of God and let it do the speaking. All of us can, well, I say all of us, all of us that, you know, that are getting up in years and we've been a Christian 30, 40 years and some of you even longer than that and you can remember back at a time where, oh my land. Do you remember that list that every Baptist preacher had a list? Boy, oh, TV come along, and I'm telling you what. For two or three years, I I got so sick and tired of listening to preachers scream and yell about how rotten and terrible and horrible TV is. Now those same guys sitting there watching it eight hours a day. You, you know, I, I keep saying at some point in time, at some point in time, we need to stand up and look an entire generation of people square in the eye and say, I'm sorry that I made a fool out of myself. I'm sorry that I tried to impose upon you my preferences as though it were the truth of God's Word. If we're going to know what is right and wrong, we're going to have to get the information out of the Bible. The Bible exposes error. There's no reason for us to be confused because right here we have the truth. But not only that, it just... Doesn't expose air, it also explains the gospel. And let me say folks, if we're not sharing the gospel, we're losing the fight. We're losing the battle if we're not sharing the gospel because that's our mission. God sent us into enemy territory with the good news of Jesus Christ for every person. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Listen, that's what Satan is fighting against. He doesn't care if we have our potluck dinners. He doesn't get upset about that. He doesn't care if we have our Fifth Sunday singings. That doesn't excite him. What really gets the devil riled up is when you and I start talking to somebody about Jesus Christ. That's what he hates. And the Word of God explains the Gospel of Christ. You know, it's sad that there are a large number of professing Christians who do not know how to give a clear presentation of the Gospel. I wish I had more time on this. In fact, getting ready for Vacation Bible School this year, Brother Rick Morris is going to be teaching a class for all of the workers, it will be a required class if you're going to work in Vacation Bible School for you to come and you to sit through this because it deals with how to lead a person to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to know that. You see, you can know how to define the Bible by just reading the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so you can quote that, and you've got it nailed down by way of a definition But we've got to be able to do more than that. We've got to be able to take the Word of God and to deal with different individuals in a way that we can show them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the Bible never gives us one specific method? If you've been saved very long, you've heard about the Roman's Road, right? Oh, you know, somebody says, well, I took them down the Roman's Road and they got saved. Well, you know, that's wonderful. The Roman's Road doesn't work for everybody. Whenever you study the example of Jesus and the apostles, here's what you're going to find. You're going to discover that they dealt with different people in different ways. There was no set pattern. Although they communicated the same truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they took a different approach with everyone. I think my favorite is the woman at the well there. It's really a textbook on how to deal with people. But it's not how you deal with everybody. Am I making any sense? Are you with me? We're talking about the conflict that we face and our need of having the offensive weapon of God's Word that explains the Gospel, and we need to know how to use it. Let me give you two other things, and I'm through. Number three, it's an offensive weapon in the sense that it edifies the believer. That word edify means to build up. We know that the Bible teaches that we are to grow, I'm talking about Christians, That we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not intend for you to remain a spiritual baby all of the days of your life. If you get saved when you're 50 years old, you might know more about a lot of things than other people know. But you are just a spiritual babe. You have just begun the journey in your spiritual life. Whereas someone may be, let's say, 20 years old, and they've been saved for maybe 10 or 15 years, and they're grounded in the Word of God, and as a result of that, as they feed on the Word of God, they begin to grow. You'll remember Paul spoke to the church at Corinth and rebuked them for the fact that they had not grown spiritually. He said, the, you know, the time comes that you ought to be teachers. He says, you have need that someone teach you again. And he rebuked them in regards to their bad behavior one with another. He talked about the divisions in the church and the jealousy and the strife and all of those things that was tearing the church apart. And it all boiled down to this one thing. They had not grown Spiritually. If we're going to grow spiritually, then we have to feed on the Word of God. Remember, Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We're to feed upon the milk and the meat of God's Word. If you are neglecting God's Word in your life, if you're not a student of God's Word, you're not going to grow spiritually. And if you're not growing spiritually, you're going to live a defeated life. It edifies the believer. Now, there's one more thing, and this could take an hour. It encourages the saints. Proverbs 8 and verse number 34, the voice of wisdom says, Blessed is the man that heareth me. Now, that's the voice of wisdom, but... Who is wisdom? Well, the Bible says that Christ is the wisdom of God. And he goes on and says, Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. If we live in a world that's full of strife, if we are commanded to face the conflict and to stand firm in spite of the opposition, then we better find something to encourage us when the going gets tough. The only thing I know that will do the job is the Word of God. When we claim the precious promises that God has given, we have the blessed assurance that God knows, God cares, and God can help. Sometimes when we're going through a difficult time, other people can be a big encouragement. Someone just out of the blue, you know, give you a pat on the back and they'll say something that I mean will just put fire in your bones and it'll encourage you and it'll keep you going. But sometimes that's not enough, and sometimes you might be discouraged, and uh, an encouragement comes in another form. I had a missionary the other day sent me a letter that. He was talking about morning manna, and it just so happened it was after a after a day or two that I'd rather forget. And uh, I mean, I I just felt like why am I, Why am I even doing this? Why you, you know why do I get up every morning and rack my brain? Why am I looking for something or writing something? And what difference does it make? And I get a letter from a missionary like that, and it talks about how it helped him during the difficult time in his life. Whew, all of a sudden, boy, I'm telling you what, that got me going. But I'm going to tell you folks, there's sometimes when a pat on the back won't do it. Sometimes when the good news of knowing you've helped somebody that won't do it. There's sometimes the depression is so deep and the pain is so intense and your mind is so confused that there's absolutely nothing on earth that will keep you going except the Word of God. I can't tell you the number of times I've just got alone with this old black book in my hand and I've just sat there and... And I've read and I've tried and I've prayed and thought about the truth and and it just revived me. We would all do well to be able to say with the psalmist, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy Word. A regular diet of this Bible would do more to encourage you than anything, and you will say just like Job did, hey, I value this more than my necessary food or my daily bread. This is the thing that will keep me going. It will keep you going too, by the way. You're not prepared for the conflict unless you take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It will do what nothing else on earth can do. Be a student of the Word. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for the way that the Word of God has ministered over and over and over again in our lives and helped us. It's not only enlightened our mind and shown us the way that we ought to take and the things that we ought to do, but it's helped us through those really, really difficult periods whenever it, when everything seemed hopeless and even life seemed like it was just in vain, and no reason to keep trying or anything. Or, or maybe it was someone that just felt overwhelmed. The necessities in their life had reached such a place that they they just thought they couldn't make it through another day. And then they turned to your precious word and discovered those wonderful promises. And help us tonight to claim those promises, to follow Your commands, and to praise You for giving us so rich a treasure as You've given us here in this Word. Help us, as we march off into battle, to take with us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that we, might be victorious in our Christian walk. For we pray in Jesus' name. Now as we stand and we sing this invitation hymn, if God's speaking to your heart, maybe, maybe you've been neglecting your time in God's Word and you don't have to say anything to me, but maybe it would be good tonight if you just came and got on your knees and say, Lord, you know why I'm here. There was a time in my life when I was a real student of your Word and now... I've just let things get out of hand and I've got so busy I don't even take time to read it during the week. And I'm going to commit myself here tonight to being a student of Your Word. So whatever it is, you let God have His way while we sing. about what you're singing. What Have a word you'd like to say uh, Maybe it's a prayer request We don't know about Or an update on somebody You've been praying for Or uh, testimony